Let's find our way back to 1 John again tonight. The series is Real Love, where we've been looking at what real, authentic, genuine, true love is, how we can experience, who can give it, how to show it, where to find it, all the things. And John, whose epistles we've been reading over the past few weeks together, to me is the perfect guy to help us in seeing and understanding love. He wrote more about love than anyone else that you see as being an author inside of God's holy word. And I think it's because the love he found in and from Christ impacted him more than anything else. And there were all kinds of things that Jesus did while he walked across the face of this earth. And John got to witness all of those things. He was with Jesus each step of the way. He was one of the first disciples that Jesus called to come and follow him. And so John got to see all the things. He got to see the miraculous healings. He got to see Lazarus raised. He got to see God do stuff with food that nobody had ever done before as far as multiplying it to feed thousands upon thousands of people. So John got to see all the things, but what impacted him more than anything else, more than the miracles, more than the healings, more than the walking on the water, more than the calming the waves and the wind, more than any of those things, what impacted John more so than that is the love that Christ displayed, not just for the world, but for him individually. It carried such a weight in John's life. And you can see it just in the way that he writes. The love that Jesus had displayed for him astounded him. He was amazed at the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself embodied in flesh, would come to this earth and display love for him specifically. It was an astonishing thing to him, just like it should be to any one of us. It's why, we, it's why in those moments earlier we sing hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. It's an astonishing thing that Jesus would love us as he has. And so John, man, he is like the perfect guy. If you want to learn about love, you want to learn about the love that God has for you, look up your boy John in Scripture because he can tell you all about it because it impacted him maybe more so than anyone else. So we're going to let him teach us a little more on the subject tonight. We're going to pick up in 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to scoot down to verse 11. And God's Word says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. So we've talked about God's real love for us. We talked about how we're to have a real love for God. So with these next few moments that we have together tonight, I want us to look at our real love 
for each other. John says that true followers of Jesus love. They love. Plain and simple, if you confess to follow Christ, if you call yourself one of his followers, you will be loving of others around you. You'll be loving of the world around you. You'll be loving of the brothers and sisters that you find yourself around within the community of the church. Quite simply, Christians, followers of Jesus, exemplify love. Love is probably the most telling identifier of someone who is a true follower of Jesus Christ. And John makes it very clear here that if your life is devoid of love, then it is very likely that your life is devoid of Christ. Because you cannot be full of God who is love and yet yourself be unloving. Those two things don't mix. They're like oil and water. It does not go together. It does not compute. It does not register. So quite simply, if you are a follower of Christ, a true telling identifier of whether or not that is your current reality is if you love the people around you. Specifically in that love is the love that we're to have for each other, though. Within the context of what John is writing, he's writing to believers, and he's telling them to love one another. Verse 23 says, this is Christ's commandment, that we love one another. And John just didn't make that up on his own. As a matter of fact, he referenced Jesus' words specifically in his gospel writing of the book of John in verse 13. In verse 34 and 35, he records Jesus as saying this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So us loving one another within the body of Christ is a monumentally important thing that carries with it gospel implications so the world around us can see and know that those people follow Jesus. If there's one thing that without question people should find within and amongst the church, it's love. Without question. It's not even up for debate. When you walk onto this campus week in and week out, when you find yourself in this room week in and week out, if you experience or if you feel absolutely nothing else, you should feel and know that there is love in this place. It, is, it should be impossible. It is impossible for this many believers, this many professing followers of Christ to gather together in one room and love not abound. If we are who we truly say we are, love will abound in this place. And even those who don't know Christ, even if you walked into this place tonight for the first time and you have no idea about all this Jesus stuff that is going on around here, you should feel love here. It should have been exemplified to you already. We should be, as followers of Jesus, the most loving people on the planet. Now let me say this, and I don't want to get off too far on this because we don't have time for this tonight. That does not mean that we are the most accepting people on the planet. What I mean by that is that we need to understand there is a difference between love and acceptance. We show love, but that doesn't mean we accept all the things of the world around us. Even still, though, we love. Even still, though, we love, and we love in truth. 
We should be the most loving people on the planet. We're going to have this talk tonight because I feel like that's too often not the case. I should have took a poll before you guys came in here tonight and asked how many of you throughout the course of your life have ever experienced something that we might call church hurt. How many people have been hurt throughout the years by the church, by the group of people that were supposed to be the most loving, have to you, because of your past experiences, have become the most repulsive and offensive. So many people dare not walk into the doors of a church because at some point in time in their life, some kind of horrific offense took place against them inside the walls of that place. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. The reality is that should never happen. As followers of Christ, as people who profess to contain his love, that should never happen to someone. Church hurt should not even exist. But unfortunately, it does. And that's why this had to be commanded. That's why this had to be written down. That's why this has to be talked about tonight, because loving people isn't easy. Let me say that one more time. Loving people isn't easy. We're all difficult in our own ways. Love for us doesn't come easy. Love is who God is. It is, matter of fact, not who we are. Agreed? Loving may come natural for him because that's who he is, but I don't know about you guys. I don't know. Maybe y'all are just way better people than I am. Love doesn't come natural for me in all circumstances with all people. Love is way easier to acknowledge than it is to act. So how do we or how are we supposed to love each other? And think about this as we talk tonight. What are the implications if we don't? So tell someone beside you, Jesus loves you. That was real enthusiastic. Tell someone beside you, Jesus loves you, and I'm trying. Jesus loves you, and I'm trying. I can't do it quite as good as he does. It's a work in progress, but he loves you, and you just need to know that I'm trying. I'm working on it. I'm here tonight so that I can hopefully love you better. So let's talk about our real love for each other. Our real love for each other. Real love, if we're going to exemplify that to one another, it has to be internal as well as external. So let's go back and look at what John says in verse 11. He says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John tells these believers, I know you've heard this already, but I'm telling you again, love each other. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So he's like, guys, I know it's going to sound redundant. I've said it time and time again. You've even heard it time and time again before this point, but you have got to love each other. And then he uses an example of how it isn't supposed to look. And he references the story of Cain and Abel, which you will find in the beginning chapters of the book of Genesis if you want to read the account for yourself at some point in time. Cain and Abel were brothers, and outwardly, Cain appeared to love his brother outwardly, but inwardly he despised him. Inwardly he envied Abel. Inwardly 
He was jealous of Abel. And eventually, that inward hatred led him to murder his brother. So on the outside, everything looked good between Cain and Abel. They looked like two happy siblings. Some of y'all are thinking, that's probably the case in my family. Outwardly, I love my brother. Outwardly, I love my sister. But on the inside, I'm like, (laughs) some sibling rivalry. Cain looked good on the outside. But it was what he was harboring on the inside that eventually led him to the action of taking his own brother's life out of jealousy and envy. So often I feel like as people of God, we express an external love that's devoid of any internal love. We do and say things that are loving to one another. We show up on a Sunday, we show up on a Wednesday, everybody's getting out of the car and we smile and wave. Hey, how you doing? Happy Sunday. Glad you guys are here. We walk into the building together and oh my goodness, look at your family. They look so cute today. Everything is great. And you guys have such a blessed week. Isn't the Lord so good to us? And aren't we just highly favored? I can't wait to hear what the pastor has to say to us today. It's going to be awesome to worship in his house. And then as soon as we split ways underneath your breath, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't stand her. External love was everywhere. But the moment we got away from each other internally, something else came about. Man, yeah, we act like we're interested in each other's lives and what we got going on. And how can I pray for you? What are you struggling with? And all these things. But the moment we walk away, we roll our eyes or we talk about who we just talked to. You know, that's why gossip is such a corrosive thing in the church. Gossip is like, I want you to think of a new way of picturing gossip. I want you to begin to picture gossip as acid. Because you know what acid does? It corrodes and it eats away. And that's exactly what gossip does when it gets within the body of Christ. It begins to corrode away love. So where gossip exists amongst the body of Christ, love begins to corrode. And that's why it's such a dangerous thing, and that's why it has no place in the body of Christ, and that's why Jesus taught us that the internal matters way more than the external. In Matthew chapter 5, and verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus says it's not just your external actions, because you can have external actions that may not ever show up. You can have an external way of doing things, and yeah, that's bad, and yeah, that's awful, but here's the thing, even if that never shows up, if you just have it internally in your heart, Jesus says you're just as guilty, you're just as condemned. That's just as bad, that's just as nasty, that's just as corrosive. And John even echoes that in verse 15 of the passage we just read. He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. He doesn't say everyone who kills his brother is a murderer. He says if you just harbor hatred in your heart, Jesus likens that on the same level as you having actually killed one of your brothers or sisters in Christ. So you think the internal doesn't matter? Jesus says it matters way more. It carries a much heavier weight than the external. 
Here's the thing anyway, I want to help you show or help you see this. If, if I have a virus internally, if I have a sickness, that's going to invade internally first. But guess what? Sooner or later, it will come out. I got to be honest, I'm really hoping I'm not about to get sick myself. You know how you can just get that feeling like I'm a little bit off? I'm feeling a little bit off tonight. So if I hugged you earlier or anything like that, I'm sorry. Like, my bad. Hopefully nothing will come out of it. But internally, you know, something already inside of me is kind of just like, mm. if I get a virus, you get a virus, you get a sickness, eventually it's going to come out. In the same way, if I'm bitter on the inside, if I'm angry on the inside, if I'm resentful on the inside, eventually that will come out. If I'm depressed on the inside, if I'm worried on the inside, if I'm anxious on the inside, eventually that will come out. It doesn't matter how hard you try to suppress it or internalize it. Eventually what is internal will become external because what exists in you will eventually manifest itself on you. You cannot keep it locked up inside. It will always find a way out. And so Jesus says, be careful, be careful about what's inside. Because if all we ever have and show is an external love for one another, then all we'll ever experience is a weak and shallow love from one another. Why? Because it's surface level. And you know what the surface is? It's shallow. So many people, unfortunately, have an experience of shallow love coming from people of God because people of God are only admitting an external love. And it goes no deeper than that. Romans 12, 9, Paul says, let love be genuine. If we're going to have and show a real love of Christ for one another, it has to invade our hearts so it can then infect our actions. Which is exactly what John builds on next. So we're going to have a real love for one another. It has to have action along with acknowledgement. So if you go back and look in verse 16, as John continues, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Who's he? Jesus. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So back at the beginning, John says we should love one another. And we're like, okay, got that. Understood. I need to love these people around me. Simple enough, John. I can follow instructions. We're good. I should love these people around me. So each and every day, I'll do my best to love these people around me. We acknowledge that we know what we are supposed to be doing. But John anticipates something that's funny, but it's kind of sad that it's true at the same time. He anticipates people's habit of knowing what to do, but still not doing it. You ever done that? You ever known what you were supposed to do and yet still not have done it? My three-year-old son does it all the time. And it's, it's, you know, it's whatever. It's frustrating. It's cute at the same time. He's a little kid. He's trying to figure it out. But it's not near as funny. It's not near as cute when people that are 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 continue to do it. Then it's just annoying. And so John anticipates something. He says, hey, guys, love one another. And they're like, Okay, got it. He's like, but I know how people are. And I know that even though you know, even though you got it, there's still a very high likelihood 
that you're still not going to do it. And so he poses a hypothetical. So go back and look at what he says. He says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So John poses this hypothetical and he says, okay, I'm glad you guys have got it because then I shouldn't have to explain what I'm fixing to explain, but I'm going to go ahead and explain it anyway because I don't know that you really have got it. So for instance, let's just say that you have a certain surplus of goods in your life, whether that be food, whether that be clothes, whether that be money or whatever it is, and you come across a brother or a sister who is in obvious need. And you have the means to help them out in the situation or the circumstance that they're in. They may be lacking food. You got plenty of it. They may be lacking clothes. You've got closets full that you've never even worn anymore. They may be lacking money. You got a bank account that you can't stuff another dime in. Whatever it is, you come across a certain need that exists in a brother or sister's life, and you become aware of that need. You know that need exists in their life, but for whatever reason, you decide to not help out. Even though you could, even though you have the means to help meet them in their need and whatever it may be, for whatever reason you decide not to, John says, that's not love. To see those things, to be aware of those things, to know that somebody within the family of God has a need and not help them meet Whatever need that is, it's not love. It's not loving. James echoes this as well. He kind of gives a different scenario. He says this in chapter 2 of his book in verse 15. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? This is, you know what this is? Let me put this in like modern day terms. This is the proverbial somebody expressing a need to you within this body of something that they've got going on, a struggle, a circumstance, a dire situation, and you knowing that you could probably help out in that situation, but just patting them on the back and saying, oh, that's tough, I'll be praying for you. James says, let me ask you guys, what good is it to, to know or see a brother or sister in Christ struggling? I need food, I need clothes, and you walk up to them and say, oh, that's tough. I'll tell you what. Be warmed and filled. See you. And walk off and not help them. He says, that's not good for anything. John, in some way, says, you're not showing them love. All you did in that instance was acknowledge without action. This is why there has to be action along with acknowledgement. There has to be both. We can't sit in here tonight and hear that we should love one another and just simply acknowledge it without ever taking action in it. If we do, it's pointless. This entire thing has been pointless. We could have saved ourselves an hour's worth of time, stayed at home tonight. It does us no good to acknowledge without action. Let me give you another example. I don't know. Let's say I go to the Commons on campus. They still got Chick-fil-A up in there. I don't even know how good y'all have it. Back when I was there, like the wildest thing we had was a Pizza Hut. And that was pretty much it. We didn't have no commons. We had the GUC. So I don't know what they got in GUC now, but that's all we had. And what they have in there now is probably still better than what we had back then. You could have your choice of a pizza or like a cheeseburger. 
and that was it. And they would set out like those fruit cups. You know, I don't even know if they still have that stuff anymore. I'm so old. It's ridiculous. Anyway, or you get a bagel. <laughs> so let's say I walk into the commons on campus, and I run into Avery. And I'm hungry. I'm in between classes. I walk in. Avery's in there. I'm like, oh, Avery, what's up, girl? How you doing? I'm hungry, man. Are you hungry? She's like, yeah, I'm starving. Let me tell you, I'm going to get something to eat. You want something to eat? She's like, oh, God, dude, I'm so hungry. Like, my stomach is roaring, but I ain't got no money. And I'm like, oh, dang, that sucks. <laughs> and then I proceed to go get in line at Chick-fil-A, order my food, bring it back in front of Avery and sit down and demolish my chicken sandwich and waffle fries and large drink and talk about how good this, oh my gosh, like, oh, this hit the spot today. This is exactly what I need. This is going to get me through finals the rest of the way. And the whole time, Avery's just sitting there looking at it like, yeah, that looks amazing. And I never once offer to help her out, get her any food, buy her something, get her, even though I had the means to do so, I very easily could have. I could have been a blessing to her in that way, but I decided, you know what, that's terrible. I hate that for you. Hope you get that problem fixed. You know, you could always go home and hit up some ramen noodles or something. I don't know, but I'm going to eat my Chick-fil-A. What love is that? That's, there's no love in that. And it may seem like a silly example, but guys, how many times do we cross each other's path and just choose to be oblivious to the fact that we could help out a brother or sister in need? We show real love for each other when we follow Jesus' example of acting in and on that love. In verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We know and believe he loves us. Why? Because his love took action for us. So in the same way, we know and believe we love each other when in love we take action for each other. It's worth pointing out one more detail here, too. So if you look at what John says, he says, let us love indeed. We're talking about action. There has to be action along with the acknowledgement. So John says, let us love indeed. The deed part, that's the action. That's, that's the moving. That's the initiating. That's becoming aware of what's going on and initiating movement to meet the need. Let us love indeed. But he doesn't just stop it there. He doesn't just say, let us love indeed, and that's the end of it. He adds something to it. He says, let us love indeed and in truth. I think that's important because real love doesn't just take action. Real love takes sincere action. Real love, when it, when it sees an opportunity to meet a need, when it sees an opportunity to help a brother or a sister out in Christ, it isn't done with a huff Avery's like, oh, man, I'm so hungry. I could really use something to eat, but I don't have any money. Real love doesn't look like, okay, point taken, Avery. What do you want? It better be like the four-piece, too, and not the six or the eight. 
because I ain't got that much left. Real love doesn't look like that in a moment of opportunity. It doesn't huff. It doesn't, it doesn't roll its eyes or roll its head. Or after the opportunity is gone, and maybe you took advantage of it, maybe you helped somebody out, but afterwards you're like, ah, oh, geez, I, a bunch of freeloaders, man. Good grief. Is there, no, is there no shortage of people that just want to hand out? Real love doesn't look like that. Real love doesn't act begrudgingly. Real love doesn't have underlying motives. Real love doesn't look like, oh, hey, Avery's still hungry. I'm going to get, hey, okay, I got you. But you owe me. No. Real love doesn't owe. It doesn't expect a return on the investment. It just acts. It just does. Because love does. Loving through sacrificial action, that was a joy. A described joy for Jesus. The writer of Hebrews put it this way. He says as Jesus was going to the cross, he says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That sacrificial love, Jesus didn't do it with a huff. Jesus didn't roll his head going to the cross. He didn't do it begrudgingly. He wasn't like, oh, guess I'll go over here and die for these sinners. So, Father, you want me to go to the cross? Yes, son, that's, that's what I want you to do. That's what I have planned. Okay, but I tell you what, every single person better accept my sacrifice. And I'll tell you something else, they better not ever sin again. Thank God Jesus doesn't love like we love at times. He says, no, okay, Father, you want me to do this? Yes, son. This is how it has to be. Okay, then. It will be my joy to sacrifice for them. See, we've got to start seeing opportunities to show love to the body as opportunities for joy. It will be my joy. It may not be easy. It may require sacrifice, but it will fill me with joy to extend the love to somebody else that Christ has extended to me. There has to be action along with our acknowledgement. One last thing, one last truth. Our real love for each other, it, it, it can't be forced even though it's commanded. So if you, if you scribble down to verse 23 of chapter 3, it says, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us to. And if you jump down into verse 11 of chapter 4, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Then if you jump down to 21 of chapter 4, God's Word says, This is the commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now let's review John 13, 34, and 35 that I read earlier. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's very clear that Jesus has commanded us to love one another. But just because he commanded it 
doesn't mean that we're forced into doing so. Real love is given through freedom of choice, not through forced command. So Jesus doesn't force us to love one another just like he doesn't force us to love him because that's not real. True, real love has to be given space to make a choice. So Jesus doesn't force us to love him. And even though he has commanded us to love one another, he doesn't force us into doing so. Love takes work to work. Say it one more time for my note takers. Because that's something that can follow you much farther than just this place. How many of you in here would love to be married one day? Then you can five-star write this down and lock it in. Love takes work to work. And that goes outside of marriage relationships. Let's keep it in context. We're speaking about our relationships with one another here in this room tonight. There are always going to be people that you find more easy to love than others. There will always be people within the body of Christ that you disagree with. But listen to me, it's so important. Disagreement is never a justifiable reason for hatred. There are plenty of people within the body of Christ that will disagree on all kinds of different things. But that is never a justifiable reason for you to then hate that person because they do not agree with you on a specific thing. And I see this all the time working inside of the church. Believers have disagreements, but it goes so far beyond that and it spills into hatred for one another. Just over a disagreement. Just because we disagree doesn't mean that we have to hate each other. Listen, sometimes real love is shown not through what it tolerates, but what it doesn't tolerate. So we may disagree. You may push my buttons, but I won't tolerate gossip about you or slander of you. I won't tolerate seeing the enemy attack you without coming to aid you. I won't tolerate ignoring your needs because we're at odds. To do so is not loving. And so you may find offense within this place. As a matter of fact, if you hang around church people, followers of Jesus long enough, eventually somebody probably will offend you in some way, form, or fashion. That offense does not give you the right to then show hatred. If it did, then Jesus would have never made it all the way to Calvary. The personal offense that was shown against him by the quote-unquote church of that time was so gruesome and nasty 
that if it gave him the right, which he would have had the only one, to hate, he would have never went through. But instead, he pushed through the offense of his own people turning against him and nailing him to that cross to carry out his mission of love. Beloved, let us love one another. 1 Corinthians 13. I feel like we can't talk about love and love amongst one another without this passage in verse 4. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. is not arrogant or rude. does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. How many of you have ever heard that read at a wedding before? Let me give you some enlightenment tonight. In context, that was not written for a wedding. Paul wrote that to believers in the church and how they are supposed to love one another, not how a man or a woman is supposed to love their spouse. So when you look at this passage, I hope you look at it differently from now on. Because so many of us, I think, hear this passage at a wedding ceremony, and we think, oh, man, that's the kind of love that's, that's supposed to exist when a man and wife. Oh, my, I hope I find that kind of love one day. I hope my husband loves me like that. I hope my future wife loves me like that. That's not what this is about. Sure, I hope all those things exist in your marriage. I hope you find someone that can love you in that kind of way. But this, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, is the kind of love you should find within the body of Christ. A love that is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It keeps no records of wrongs. This is the kind of love that's supposed to exist in the body of Christ. 1 Peter 4.8, Peter says this, Above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Let me go back to offense. You're going to be offended at some point in time. Listen to what Peter says. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You know what will help you get past the offense of a person? It's going to blow your mind. It's going to seem absolutely counter to what it should be. What will help you get past the offense of a person is to love that person. Radical, I know. Backwards, I know. Because the offended want to naturally become the offender. Agreed? I promise you, this will set some of you free in such a new way. You will try it. You'll try it. The way to get past the offense of a person to love that person. That's a lesson I've had to learn the hard way. But it's one I'm glad I learned. My wife, we'll finish up with this. My wife has this habit from time to time. She's done this ever since we dated. Which, funny enough, goes all the way back to when she was in seventh grade. I was in eighth grade. Yeah. She would ask me from time to time, why do you love me? I 
my answer is always varied. Not because my love is varied, but because there are many different things that I love about my wife. But she would ask me all the time, why do you love me? 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 Sometimes I'm like, why are you asking? Have I shown some reason to doubt that I do? Like, why are you asking? She's like, why do you want to know? She's like, I just, I just want to know. I just want to hear why you love me. So I would tell her whatever. You know, all that sappy stuff. Let me tell you what, what the answer never was and never will be because I have to. Because I don't have to. I don't have to love her, but I choose to. Why? Because there are things within her that are worth loving. Now listen to me. Beloved, let us love one another. That's the command. The reality is, you don't have to. You ain't got to love me. I ain't got to love you. We don't all have to be a happy family. Some of y'all didn't get the Barney reference. You don't have to. But you can choose to. And I think it's worth it. Because within this room, all kinds of different people, all kinds of different walks, all kinds of different backgrounds, all united underneath the banner of Jesus with a common bond and unity in His Holy Spirit. We can choose to. Why? Because I guarantee you with each and every person in this room that has been redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus, you can find something in their life worth loving. Beloved, let us love one another. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.